Welcome to the Pro-Life Teen Podcast. I'm Mary McCluskey and I'm with Jacob Barr. And today we are talking about Project Rachel Ministry, the diocesan-based abortion healing ministry of the Catholic Church in the United States. We're going to talk about how Project Rachel Ministry got its name from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah and Rachel weeping for her children and how the Lord dried her tears. We also talk about how the ministry is based in prayer and liturgy and how the abortion healing journey is really all about how all of us can share the message of forgiveness, hope, and healing. These podcasts are not scripted. The ideas presented may not be the official position of the speakers, the related organizations, or the sponsors. These podcasts are free-form dialogues that may include brainstorming and trying on ideas to see how they fit. Please walk with us as we share stories and ideas. So Mary, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team podcast. Would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a small group of executive directors of pregnancy clinics? Sure. Uh, well, Jacob, thank you for having me. It's uh, an honor to to be on the Pro-Life Team podcast. Um, so uh, my name is Mary McCluskey, and I am the Assistant Director of Project Rachel Ministry Development at the USCCB Pro-Life Secretariat. And um, taking a note from my husband, who always makes a joke wherever he goes, you know, they say the longer your title is in Washington, the less you actually do. So um, no, but no, I, I, so my role is, um, to help, uh, Catholic dioceses, uh, throughout the country to, um, primarily in the area of pastoral care. So, um, that's, um, two components here, um, at the USCCB and the Pro-Life Secretariat, and that's, um, uh, pregnancy assistance, but mostly my job involves um, helping dioceses to, to develop Project Rachel Ministry. And that is the um, diocesan-based abortion healing ministry of the Catholic Church in the United States. Um, so it's, um, you know, basically my role is to meet the needs of the bishops and the dioceses and however they are best seeking to uh, serve the people that are suffering from uh, participation in abortion. Okay. So, you know, that's everything from developing pamphlets to uh, conferences to resources, uh, being a, a kind of cheerleader coach behind the scenes, having lots of discussions and uh, pointing them out to uh, pointing resources out to them, uh, a lot of different things, basically. And what does uh, USCCB stand for? Uh, yeah, thank you. It's in, we're always kind of explaining acronyms here in this city. Um, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And, uh, you know, I, it, I work here and sometimes I'm still trying to, you know, figure out exactly what it is because it's a little bit complicated if you're not familiar with kind of the, the uh, structure, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church and how it works. But basically it's an Episcopal conference. And what that means is all the bishops throughout the country gathered together as a body called the USCCB, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and they form committees. And those committees each have a chairman, um, and the chairman directs that committee to um, to 
do its work on behalf of all the bishops of the country around uh, specific issues. And um, I am one of uh, 10 staff members who serve the Committee on Pro-Life Activities. So um, my work here in the Pro-Life Secretariat, uh, I'm one of a team of people who we have a variety of different areas of pro-life work that we um, that we're tasked with, uh, that we're responsible for. And, and those areas are prayer and liturgy. That, of course, is, you know, found is the very foundation of everything we do. Um, and policy and advocacy, education and outreach. Um, you may have heard of the Respect Life program, which is all throughout the country. Um, there's a new uh, topic and kind of themes every year. And then pastoral care, which is primarily my area. But a lot of our work dovetails, you know, a lot of work in Project Rachel Ministry, of course, is going to be uh, involving prayer and lit liturgy, of course, because it's, you know, it's, we're, we're the church. Um, so of course, that's going to be a part of our work in the very foundation. Um, but education and outreach, you know, a lot of the ministry involves um, teaching people who, um, you know, to people in parishes and at the diocesan level about the effects of abortion on people and what kind of some of the needs are and outreach as well, spreading the word that, you know, there are many people who think that, who, who feel as if they have committed this unforgivable sin and they're not worthy of God's mercy. And we're here to say, no, God loves you. God loves you no matter what you have done. And his mercy is, is far greater than anything, any mistakes that you've made in your past. Going back to the prayer part of the ministry, what does that look like? Are you providing like written prayers for people to use or as like an exercise? Or are you putting together people to pray in certain ways? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, so um, some dioceses, when they begin the ministry or as part of their outreach efforts, um, will do something called a, a mass of a, a massive healing or a mass of awareness. And so um, for those who are not maybe familiar with the, um, the, the Catholic faith, the, the Mass, the celebration of the Eucharist is one of the, the it is the primary way in which the church really, um, you know, offers that the sacrifice of the Mass for, uh, it, it's the primary way that we pray. And so those kinds of, you know, offering that sacrifice and celebrating the Mass is um, one way to, um, to, of course, Pray, asking the Lord for you know His guidance, His blessings, His um, His help, uh, praising, worshiping Him, you know, for all the wonderful, beautiful gifts He gives us, including His love and His mercy. Um, but it's also a way of spreading awareness, right? As we, you know, publicize the Mass, invite people to come, we're you, we're making people aware of you know what exactly the mass is about in this prayer intention that we're specifically coming together to um, offer up to the Lord. And, um, but in addition, yes, what you, what you, what you asked about specifically was, does the ministry offer particular prayers? Absolutely. I mean, there are, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of, of, of many prayers um, that, you know, are either written or um, guiding people to pray just from their own heart, you know, for, um, for healing, for God's forgiveness, healing, for hope, for peace, for, you know, uh, entrusting their child to God's mercy and having, asking for the hope of being united again. 
um, with their child in heaven um, in, the, in the fullness of life after they, they pass on. Um, but of course, I also want to mention, of course, that in the, in the Catholic faith, we have the sacrament of confession, which is, of course, uh, one of the beautiful ways that the Lord in our faith expresses, uh, allows us to go and, and, and share with a priest and receive absolution uh, and, and the graces of that sacrament. So the prayers that are you're referring to, are they mostly for um, people who have a post-abortion, you know, they're essentially people that are, who have experienced the pain of abortion, or is this also for people that are on the sidewalk who might be trying to reach out to women, you know, as they're going into an abortion clinic or, you know, in that parking lot? Uh, that could be one aspect of it. I mean, primarily our our office is not particularly, we don't develop specific tools or prayers for, for people who are doing sidewalk advocacy. Um, we, you know, we might, there are other groups out there that do that, that, you know, we can point um, dioceses to sidewalk advocates for life, uh, 40 days for life. Of course, many dioceses are involved with those groups. So um, it's not in our necessarily our we're not tasked with the responsibility of necessarily writing prayers for that, uh, but certainly you know all the prayer the prayers and the the liturgy aspects. I mean that involves so much. There's you know innumerable ways of 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 praying um, that uh, uh, you know that are available and out there. It's it's a, it's a matter of you know talking to a, a priest or talking to your bishop about ways to do that. Uh, holy hours, retreats, I mean, just so many different ways to, to pray. Both people themselves who have participated in an abortion, but also for those who have not, to pray for the ministry itself. Uh, many dioceses will have uh, prayer groups that are specifically uh, invited to, to pray for the ministry, to pray for the team that does minister directly to people who are um, who are, you know, going on that healing journey. Um, and so, uh, you know, everyone is really invited and called to, to offer up those prayers for, for healing. And really as a nation, if you think about it, we're, we're also not in a very particular individual one-on-one -on -one way, but each of us, even if we have not directly participated in abortion ourselves, just our culture, our culture is so broken. You know, we're so in need of just the, this this mindset, right, of of having that culture of life of welcoming people, no matter what, you know, no matter how they're conceived, uh, and, and even beyond that. Again, I want to stress for for our office, pro life is not just at the beginning of life; it's at the end of life too. So, um, you know, we have resources on euthanasia and assisted suicide as well, and caring for people in their um, as they are. The, the disabled, uh, the sick, the dying, those who are at risk of being um, of, of, at risk of assisted suicide or euthanasia. Um, so with all these prayers, can you think like what's um, what comes to mind when it comes to like seeing how God has worked as a result of these prayers or how God maybe may, may have answered certain prayers? Like, can you think of any um, stories where you can say that you know, here's God's fingerprints and how he responded or in some way has, you know, responded to some of these prayers. 
Um, yeah, so I I can think of, uh, first of all, I think that the name Project Rachel Ministry, um, so the name of the ministry itself is taken from um, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, uh, the Old Testament, where Rachel weeps for her children because they are no more. And the Lord, the Lord comes to to Rachel and, and dries her tears. And that's kind of the, you know, what I have seen reflected um, again and again in, in doing this work is, um, you know, I have met many women that have, I've had the privilege of them having, sh they share their story with me. And um, in particular, you know, one woman I'm thinking of, she, um, you know, for the purposes of confidentiality, we don't really share names or many details about people, but I can share that she worked with us on a particular project and she, um, you know, she shared with me her pain and she really shared, uh, you know, what she had been betrayed by the father of her child and he had, had left her uh, shortly after he learned of um, their, the, the existence of their child and, and, and then she had had the abortion and just her, her tears, her tears, exactly like Rachel wept. But now... Now I know her and I've the time that I spent with her, she is a woman of such joy and trust in the Lord that you that that I I have really seen how um God has transformed her heart. God has touched her and and she has a relationship with her loving father in a way that uh is just so beautiful to see. Um and you know, she trusts the Lord. She loves the Lord. She she is absolutely convinced of his forgiveness of her. She has forgiven herself and she has peace. And, and that's just the beautiful message, uh, the hope that I have for everybody who has participated in an abortion, that, that God can touch them and make them whole and they can go on to live this, this have this beautiful relationship with God and be this source of encouragement and, and joy for other people. Wow. What a, what an amazing story of healing, emotional and just, yeah, deep healing. Um, so, and, and, and essentially it sounds like that might've been connected with the, the, the prayer life or some of these prayers, um, whether that was, Oh yeah. Yeah. And so maybe she was the one who prayed it or maybe someone else prayed on her behalf. I'm not, maybe it was both. <laughs> Yeah, well, she she is definitely a woman of deep prayer, and and she always had she always had been. I mean, and just when she shared with me, you know, all the the different ways that God kind of led her through, you know, the wilderness. Those are my my words, not her, but just the, led her to people that in each each of their own unique ways, uh, you know. Uh, touched her heart and encouraged her along the way. It reminds me of um, when I was actually, I think I must have been 18. I was, um, I met, it was actually the first woman I had met who had shared with me her story. And what it, she didn't share a lot of details. We didn't have a lot of time to talk. But at the time I was, um, I was doing a, a pro-life walk across the country called Crossroads. And um they, uh, you know, they've been around for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. But anyway, we, we met and she was asking me, you know, we wore these big t-shirts that said pro-life 
across them and she was asking what we were doing in her city and I told her and she said you know I've I've had two abortions um and I don't believe anyone will ever marry me because how could they after what I've done and my heart just broke for her and I you know I this was you know I was a young fresh-faced you know I didn't really exactly know what I was doing. I had not had experience with this before, but I knew enough to know that I just needed to listen to her. And my gut said, just, just tell her God loves her, just assure her, you know? And, and so I did. And so we talked and, and I gave her my number and she tried to call the next day and where I was staying, we were never able to connect again, but we never, I, I still pray for her sometimes. And even though I don't know if she ever got help with a ministry or I don't ever know the end of her story, it it gives me hope enough to know that I was maybe one in a series of people that if she did, that maybe something I said encouraged her to open up to someone else or to go to the Lord at some future point in time or that others along the way had also been a part of maybe encouraging her. And so I think that's one of the messages I always like to share when I talk about you know interviewed or just talk about my work or I should not my work but this work our work God's work right of sharing this message is that each of us can be a part of it right and it's really the Lord's message right his message and he's the one doing the healing and we're just the instruments in his hands that he uses and and so it's so important I think to always be aware that everywhere we go statistically that there are so many people that ju- that are suffering silently that we just aren't aware have been involved in an abortion and it's not just the mother or the father if you think about you know the the grandparents of the aborted child right so they may have you know they don't know what to do their 16 year old daughter is pregnant oh my gosh we've got to you know let's get rid of this problem well it's not you can't it it's you know, it, it, it's this, it's, this is your granddaughter, you know, this is a child. Um, and they may later on, maybe in the, you know, they, the, the rush of emotions, right. And they think it's the answer and deep down, they know it's not, but later on they come to regret this decision. And so they're mourning, right. They're mourning the loss. So it's just always important to remember, you know, um, survivor siblings there's a woman named Teresa Bonapartis who does some work she has retreats for survivor siblings and some of the siblings will say when they discovered that a sibling of theirs was aborted later on they share things like wow you know I always kind of felt something was off I always kind of felt like there was a person in my life who was missing and now I know it was because one of my siblings was aborted so it's just amazing the the sense of family that um you know, that, that, that people can have. Um, so anyway, I, so I just, it's always good to speak compassionately whenever we talk about abortion and remember that someone who has had an participated in an abortion or has had one, could be listening. So, um, there's this verse in the Bible, uh, James five sixteen, and it, maybe I can pull it up, but it goes, so then like confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed and the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. And, um, and so I, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't go to a Catholic church. I go to an e- evangelical church, but I believe 
my understanding is that when confessing sins to a priest, um, I feel like that verse is being, you know, would probably be the the reason, probably for for doing that because confessing your sins one to you know one to another so that you may be healed, and the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. I feel like that would support the idea of you know of confessing um, sin to someone else to then you know exposing it as you know saying it out loud and then asking for someone's prayers to to um, yeah, and just having someone hear hear it, and then also then asking them to pray. Um, and out of curiosity, do people do, do you know as a Catholic, do you ever confess to another non you know a person maybe on the same level more so than always going to the priest above, or is it is it usually to, I mean, obviously it sounds like it's usually to a priest, but do you also ever confess to other people as well? Well, as a as a you know one of the sacraments if you if you're talking strictly in terms of you know um the the sacramental seal of confession right it is strictly between you and the priest and the priest is you know in, in persona Christe we call it in the person of Christ specifically ordained as an ordained minister by the bishop to um absolve of the sin no you would never uh never go to the confession sacrament of reconciliation to um to anyone other than the priest. Um, but that said, in Project Rachel Ministry, many dioceses offer um, support groups um, and also retreats. So in Project Rachel Ministry, we have, um, we offer both group healing events and individual one-on-one. And so that's really the emphasis there is that each individual person they're, you know, every person's abortion is unique. And so therefore their healing journey is going to be very unique. And so that's, that's really what we stress is how do we meet the needs of that individual person that comes, you know, that, that is coming forward and saying, you know, I, they, sometimes they know what they're looking for and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just full of pain and they know they want help, but they just don't know what is offered and they want to find out more about how they can be helped. So that that element of the 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 mutual the, the kind of support from somebody who has experienced what you have gone through um, is available in those group kind of healing events where particularly in support groups where guided by a therapist, sometimes by a lay uh, lay professional or a, a lay team member of the diocese, diocesan ministry team, they're they're guiding people through sharing with each other, um, lifting each other up, encouraging each other, um, sharing about you know what is working, sharing scripture passages, sharing you know, um, talking about how the Lord is working and touching their hearts and leading them on that, that healing journey. And so there is that element of kind of, um, not confessing if you will, but, but opening up and, and being vulnerable with each other. And so, because, you know, the isolation, isolation and, and not sharing, uh, going through the world as if you feel alone it is, is one of the after, you know, one of the ways that, uh, the abortion trauma and grief manifests itself. And so it's really important to be connected and have support on that journey. So when someone, is there usually uh, a leader of the Project Rachel group who will then 
be able to help. How many leaders are there, I guess, in a Project Rachel group, or how does a Project Rachel group um, operate? Like, what are the key elements that take place when someone when they get together? Is this usually over a weekend retreat? Um, what's what's that? What's it look like for a pro, for someone to attend a Project Rachel, um, you know, uh, experience? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, like I said, it, it depends really on what the person is looking for. But basically, um, the diocese is offering that a confident. It starts with a, a confidential phone call to the ministry, and every phone number. Uh, sometimes they're, you know, they might first contact might be an email. But basically, an individual looking for help would call this confidential dedicated line. So it's only for abortion healing, and. Um, the, the person, the, the leader, it's sometimes the leader, the coordinator of the ministry is not always the person answering the phone, but it typically is. Um, there's not, you know, a lot of resources to have, you know, you know, dozens of paid people and, you know, working um, in this ministry. But usually it's the same person um, answers the phone and and basically it depends on the person. The individual really kind of leads um you know, again, are they looking for, uh, usually it's one of two things. It's for usually either the spiritual component of healing or the emotional. Some people are not quite ready to kind of, you know, face the Lord, face the spiritual. And so they're there more for the emotional, right? And then the the two kind of go together. So in Project Rachel Ministry, what we call, we call it the integrated approach to healing. So Somebody might be looking for a, a therapist who specializes in trauma and is has that uh, knowledge and understanding and would, you know, even be pro-life because, as we know, not all therapists are necessarily going to be pro-life or agree that abortion is something that could traumatize someone. So it's important for the ministry to have evaluated all the therapists that they, they refer people to uh, so that you know, they know that that therapist is on board with the entire approach of, uh, of what's offered. So they can be sometimes referred to a therapist or referred to a priest or a pastoral counselor, uh, you know, someone for spiritual direction um, or or for a group healing event. It really kind of depends. Some people are not ready for a group event. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's not it's not a program. It's not a uh, a group per se, it's a ministry. It's what can we do? How can we meet the needs of this individual? Um, it's not, you know, they, they fit into this box or that box. It's we're going to wrap around this person and, and, and give them what they need. So uh, what happens when someone reaches out for for help and, they, and they, they're, they're, they're a person who may not believe in God? And how is there, are they, are they treated the same or are they treated differently? And how, you know, how are they responded to? It's a great question. Yeah. So Project Rachel Ministry is open and available to everyone. People of people who are Catholic, non-Catholic, people of any faith or no faith at all. Um, so basically the ministry is is not going to it, it, it's going to be what it is. It's going to offer the fullness of truth, right? So um, be authentically Catholic. But at the same time, you know, Jesus himself did not always, um, you know, 
he, he used different language. He used different approaches with different people. Of course, he was all-knowing, but he was also all-loving. So sometimes that all-loving approach meant that, you know, um, he didn't always, uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, the woman at the well, right? His experience with the, the Samaritan woman at the well, right? He did not come right up to her and say, you have, uh, I think, I can't remember how many husbands, three husbands, however many husbands it was. I think it might have five. Been, I okay, forget. I, okay, I'm what guessing? It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was. It was more than one, right? So her, he did not. He did not. Not her current husband, I think, as well. Right. Yeah. So he didn't come right up to her and say, "You know, you're living in sin. Repent." You know, he he approached her gently. He led her and offered her the living water. And so, and that's that would be exactly the approach of of someone who calls with no faith at all. It would be to say, we love you, you know, in so many words, not come right out and say we love you, but basically offering care for somebody and saying, here's what we offer. You know, we're happy to listen to you. We're happy to help you. You know, what can we do that that you that meets your needs with where you're at? And then and then go from there and just begin to build trust really and give that person um the care and compassion that they deserve and acknowledge, I mean, simply acknowledging the existence of their child when society doesn't, that's an act of love that I think speaks volumes. So what does a project Rachel um, experience, how does it usually take place? Is it like a weekly meeting? Is it a weekend? Like what is, what, how, what's the format usually look like? Uh, well, it depends on what the type of healing opportunity is going on. So, you know, if it's um, a one-on-one -on -one meeting, um, it, you know, if it's it's confession, it's going to be in the confessional. If it's with the therapist, it's going to be in, you know, a, a secure, confidential place where, you know, uh, it's they have privacy and freedom to talk. Um, but the I guess the and then, of course, a retreat uh, the support groups, those would um, take place at retreat houses or churches or sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, I know some people will meet someone out at a coffee shop, um, but the, the underlying principle is is confidentiality. Um, so, you know, the location of retreats are never advertised. Um, you know, even the reason that a woman might be meeting with the priest is it's not, you know, uh, the list of the priest's names, the list of, uh, you know, it's all of that are involved with the ministry. Everything is kept confidential. So it's, um, you know, so that she's secure that, you know, it's not like everybody knows, oh, that's why, she, that's why I'm meeting with father, right? Everybody knows I've had an abortion, right? Um, she needs to feel safe to be able to, like, to build trust, right? And to share what she wants to share when she's comfortable with whom, right? And so that's a safety issue too, you know? Um, there may be situations in her life she might be living in an experience, um, she might be living in a domestic violence situation, right? Where maybe the man who has coerced her um, into an abortion, right? could be the man that, you know, the man she's living with. And so the last thing you want to do is she's going away for the weekend and, you know, oh, well, there's, she's going to be at this retreat house. And then he goes there to 
find her, take her away. Other she's endangered. Other people are endangered. So, so we're just very careful about um, about confidentiality and, and privacy. And then, uh, who was the person who sort of uh, was it? Vicky Thorne who created um, the project Rachel, or is that, or who was like the, the you know the the founding group uh, who created this, um, and when was it created? Yeah, so Vicki Thorne founded um, Project Rachel in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee in 1984, um, and she um, she began it as the 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 one-on-one approach, and then she um, I think it was two I think I'm trying to remember the year that she started NOPAR National Office of Post-Abortion Reconciliation and Healing. So I think it was eight or nine years later after she um, she had, you know, great initial success in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. Her model spread to other dioceses. They started um, doing this. Then she started NOPAR. So and then in 2010, um, the trademark for Project Rachel was transferred to the um, USCCB. And so then we added this the the group healing aspect of it. And so it really... Um, kind of, you know, we kind of expanded the approach into uh, offering retreats and support groups as well. So, so yeah, Vicky, Vicky, then, um, you know, she, my conversations with her, she really shared that she wanted to broaden the approach a little bit and share what she had learned with more than just Catholic dioceses. And she wanted NOPAR to be an organization that was kind of an umbrella organization. So that enabled her to travel around the country and share her knowledge about uh, abortion healing internationally, you know, uh, all over the world. So that was that's the work that Vicky did primarily through um, National Office of Post-Abortion Reconciliation and Healing, otherwise called NOPAR. And, and speaking of the, so if someone's in, uh, let's say there's a Princey clinic, whether they're in wh- whichever state in the U.S. or or even or or somewhere. If they wanted to connect with Project Rachel, would they be best off to connect with the local diocese, or is are you know for, and for some areas that may be more rural with less resources or less groups in the area, is there like a internet version or uh, or a national type of service that? you know, for smaller areas to be able to connect with, um, to then, yeah, experience the group healing via Zoom or something like that. Yeah. So, um, a little bit of, a little bit of both. So, so Project Rachel Ministry is, it's a diocesan ministry. So you're always going to be contacting the diocese for the ministry. Um, that said many, um, you know, as you know, pregnancy centers, right, are sometimes referring some offer um, that's not some offer a an abortion healing um, programs there. Um, but for a Project Rachel ministry, some are connected to pregnancy centers where um, the approach of Project Rachel ministry is, um, you know, one one after somebody is is initially through the very intense emotional kind of quote unquote i hate to call it cri- it's not a not a crisis per se but it, uh you know from the emotional mindset right of once this person has g- 
gotten through the decision to uh, parent their child or make an adoption plan, right, then they're no longer in that immediate emotional crisis, right? But once she's in a place to really focus on her healing, right, um, and deal with any prior abortion, then the pregnancy center hopefully has a relationship with the local Project Rachel ministry and can refer somebody may be looking to begin that healing journey um, to the diocesan ministry. And then it, particularly in the pandemic, you know, everybody went on Zoom, right? And so there were some dioceses that really, uh, that were successful with having online Zoom meetings, but really in person is, is the most ideal way to go and also the most secure. Um, you know, Zoom bombers, we've heard these stories of people Zooming in. You know, it's really, um, some people really had trouble with the idea of sharing something so personal and so painful it, it, online in a Zoom meeting where, you know, anybody, you know, in their mind, anybody could come in at the, the last minute and, you know, be in this online meeting, right? And they didn't feel secure sharing unless they were in person and they knew the room was private and secured and there weren't others listening in. So, so it's, it's kind of a mixed, um, mixed experience that people have had with the virtual, uh, the online meetings. And, and it sounds like the in-person is probably 10 times better when it's available. But for those that when it's not available, it sounds like, you know, Zoom is, you know, the, the virtual is reasonable, but obviously only when, yeah, the in-person is just not, not available, perhaps, I would, I would expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is there a cost for someone to participate in Project Rachel or is there like a suggested donation or what does that, how does that side look like? Yeah, so the ministry is 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 free. Ultimately, um, there would be certain costs sometimes, though, particularly on retreats. Um, it, yeah. you know, some some dioceses have moved to day retreats. Um, some people are finding, you know, that, you know, they the the it's too difficult for women or men, you know, to go away for the whole weekend. They can't get away from their families that long, or it's too expensive. So they're moving to sort of day retreats and, um, but every effort is made to keep those costs as minimal as possible. So the diocese really tries to make the ministry most, most events are free, but in the case where there might be some costs associated with lodging, particularly with a retreat, um, that that's really, um, that's one of two examples I'm thinking of where there might be some payment in, involved. The other is uh, with a therapist. So, um, you know, therapy, these are professionals and you're paying for, you know, their their professional expertise. The good news is that many dioceses have, will provide a certain number of sessions for free. And then um, it's a combination of either a sliding, sliding fee scale. And so sometimes, you know, the first... 10 to 12 sessions are free. And then from there, the, the responsibility for the client to pay, you know, might be a certain percentage of the total cost for the therapist. So every effort is really made to make everything either free or minimal cost. So with, with all the, with, with Pracy Clinic um, executive directors or leadership teams listening, whether it's a Catholic Pracy Clinic or an evangelical Pracy Clinic, what would you say to that director, you know, as she is trying to help women, you know, 
heal from abortion and with referrals, how would you encourage them to consider, you know, promoting or encouraging their, you know, connecting their clients with Project Rachel? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that, um, I guess a couple of things come to mind that, um, one of the, one of the manifestations of abortion, uh, trauma, grief, um, pain is an inability to connect with future children. And, um, we also know that many women have, um, you know, repeat abortions. And so sometimes, and sometimes, uh, women will have an abortion and subsequent pregnancies are an attempt to make up for that abortion. And so, um, promiscuous behavior even, um, can sometimes be an effort to, um, dull the pain of that abortion, right? Trying to seek love from uh, places other than God, essentially, or good, healthy relationships. So there's all of that battling, right, in the heart of, of some of the clients that are coming to a pregnancy center. And so it's important to really minister to that, that, that wound, that prior wound that a woman has in her heart, because it's going to, um, I mean, it's, it's for her sake, right? For her sake and her relationship with the Lord, all of her relationships, her relationship with people, people in her life, her family, but also for her future children, if she chooses. And, I, and my understanding is that that most many women choose to parent. Adoption is not making an adoption plan is not um, as commonly chosen um, for women who don't choose to abort. They're more likely to parent than they are to make an adoption plan. So. So for the benefit of those future children and that relationship, it's really important for them to eventually get uh, healing for um, their abortion and for any prior abortions. You know, sometimes it's it's multiple abortions uh, before you're seeing her uh, as a client in a pregnancy center. And when it comes to this, the, the healing experience, how often, well, what's the journey look like? Is this you know, you know, I've got a feeling or my gut saying it's like a journey, you know, th throughout the rest of life, more so than it being like a, a a chapter. Or is it sometimes just a chapter and then someone feels completely healed, then maybe it resurfaces and that pain, you know, comes back. What's it look like no, you, for typical journeys? You're absolutely right, Jacob, that it's um, most women and men, too, men. Uh, also, you know, less men than women, but come forward for, for healing and help anyway. But yeah, it's typically, um, uh, a, a lot, the journey that happens, um, over a long period of time. So I guess I would say there's, there's two aspects to that is when someone would come forward for healing and then how long that the, the healing journey happens. And I would say typically in, in younger people younger people are more likely to come forward sooner um but there's also a full i mean there are women who sometimes decades and decades later you know there are women now in their 80s who are coming forward for healing right and so they've gone you know 50 60 years um and they finally are coming forward 
for healing. So it, it's, um, and then as far as in terms of the, the length of that abortion healing journey, I mean, there's, there's definitely a, I would say, um, you know, once you s- start that intensive process of that healing journey and you're, and you kind of go through some of the steps of, of forgiving, reconciling with the Lord, forgiving yourself, um, connecting with, um, the child or children and entrusting that child to the Lord, um, forgiving those who may in relationships that may have been involved in the abortion. I mean, there are some, you know, typical kind of sometimes naming the child, uh, commending the child to the Lord. Those are typical steps involved in the healing journey. But once you're, once someone is in a healthy, a good, a healthy place and has experienced some healing, there's always more work to be done after the Lord kind of you know, makes you whole and brings you to a certain place because there can be certain triggers in your life, right? For example, um, the death of a parent, right? Where you may be thinking, wow, I haven't told my mother or my father that I've had an abortion. They still don't know. And wow, they might go into heaven and see my child, their grandchild for the first time. And there's this fear, right? There's this fear. So that can be a trigger for, um, to go back to the ministry and say, hey, I'm experiencing this fear of my mother is now in heaven with my aborted child. I need to process this with people who will understand. I need to talk this through. So so it's always going to be events in your life, sounds sometimes, movies, whatever, that might trigger that memory of, of that painful past. But the good, new, good news is that there's always uh, a ministry you can go back to where people will understand and be able to help you through that. Wow, that's really good. Um, so I think my my last question is: Is there also a men's group as well? It wasn't even on my radar until you mentioned that. I mean, and obviously men need healing as well, but I just wasn't even thinking about the the men who may attend a Project Rachel group. And I'm assuming you probably have women's groups. And if you do have a men's group, it would be for men only, not co-ed. I would ex- expect. Yeah, and that's. Um... That's a, a question that we get a lot, you know, can men and women be in group together? And and generally we don't recommend that because sometimes the the anger, you know, having men, men and women process emotions differently. Sometimes um, women might be less women and men, vice versa. Like they might be a little less free to, um, you know, imagine how the men in the room feel if the women are expressing rage at the men that, you know, oh, all of this anger or whatever they might it, it just it frees it frees them up to process things in a way that um, is going to be best for them and 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 be able to for them to talk openly with you know with the people in in their in their group. Um, so in terms of group events, yes, we do recommend that the sexes are are separated. Um, but yes, definitely, Project Rachel Ministry is for men. Um, in some dioceses, they they might call it something different, like Project Joseph or Joseph Ministries. Um, because Project Rachel is a, is, is the name of, you know, it's a feminine name. And so, but men generally are, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get men typically come forward for help, uh, much less often than women. Number one, their role isn't even recognized. I mean, the law says they have no right, right. In, in a woman's decision to abort or ha- have an abortion or not. Right. And so they they feel disempowered they feel as if they don't have anything to 
they they don't i mean essentially they they don't often as far as the law is concerned have a say in the matter and so um they feel kind of helpless sometimes they express an inability to protect the mother and the child sometimes they don't even know that they are a father and then they discover this later so they're grieving a child they didn't even know existed so there's about seven or different seven or eight different ways that the, the man the father can can be involved in this situation and there's the different you know different situations that um he can be part of this 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 story but yes for sure um you know when they can reclaim that that fatherhood it's it's a it's a beautiful thing and i guess my, my i might have one more question this one may be a short one but do you ever have um pregnancy clinic uh, leaders who want to be able to be better equipped to to help their clients with um, good encouragement and direction. Have you ever had pregnancy clinic leadership team type of people who may not need the healing themselves, or maybe they do, but they're looking to equip themselves to help others? Have you ever have those kind of people reach out to Project Rachel? Um, I. I do believe that does happen, yeah, at the at the diocesan level where they're looking to, um, you know, to be partners. And a lot of times what happens at the local level is is people are, you know, the pro-lifers know each other, right? Everybody that is helping the mothers and the children, right, they know each other and they partner up and everybody is, is you know, learning from each other and supporting each other. And um, I mean, I at least I on the national level. I mean, I I know that the, a lot of the team at Heartbeat International, um, a lot of the national, um, some of the CareNet people, like, and I'm always learning from them, and I always appreciate, um, you know, bouncing ideas off of them and learning about what they're doing, and and so it's um, there's never, I uh, you know, I haven't participated in anything formally per se, but uh, I mean in terms of like a, a partnership, we, we really view, um, you know, kind of, as I said before, you know, abortion healing journey as, as something, um, it, it's, it's, it's its own separate work that doing that work, um, is, is, you know, one of the things that can cause a woman not to come forward for healing is if she's seeing uh, triggers that may remind her of that painful past. And so in all of our messaging and in all of our outreach, you know, we don't have photos of smiling women with babies and, you know, all of those types of things. Like we're very careful to um, recognize where she's at because she's not going to come forward if she thinks that anything, you know, that we don't get her right and so we remove any potential barrier towards her reaching out for help. We really want her to understand, and him, the fathers too, that we're not going to be talking about, you know, the decision has been made. You have made that decision, the painful decision, and now you're ready to be forgiven and really work on on the healing part. And so that's really what we focus on and make sure that that painful reminders, you know, are are not where we start. We start with her her story and then later on when she's ready um you know thinking about that painful past under the the guidance of a, a of a, a licensed professional um in counseling is is often part of that um healing 
Wow. Thank you so much for being here, Mary. I think this was, yeah, this is a lot of good information and I'm hoping that the people who listen to this will be able to be better equipped to refer and connect with Project Rachel. And, and thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a real uh, pleasure and an honor to, um, to be with you and to share. Our sponsor is Heritage House. Heritage House provides over 1,500 resources and tools for the pro-life movement from fetal models to yard signs to the precious feet pin. Heritage House is proud of nearly 50 years of standing shoulder to shoulder with pro-life advocates like you. See Heritage House online at www.pro.life. That's pro.life. Supporting our sponsors, like Heritage House, supports the Pro-Life Team podcast. Thank you. Shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall not be alone. He makes me lie down in green. He leads me by quiet blue. Yeah, the walk through darkness, darling, you are me, I mean. Your protection and guidance are comforting me. Oh